Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for coming out and for joining with us this morning as we continue our series in the book of Romans. I wonder what the word sacrifice means to you. I wonder what that conjures up in your head. On the night of the 12th of June in 1982, Sergeant Ian McKay was one soldier among many advancing on the Argentinian position in the Falkland Islands. And at this stage in the fight, the enemy was awake and was aware of their advance and and was fighting them from a well-established position. And Sergeant McKay and all of those with him were pinned down. He was one of a team that was trying to uh, reconnoiter the enemy position. And his commanding officer was shot and command fell on him. And he realized in that moment that if he didn't take decisive action, the whole offensive was going to falter and they were going to sustain significant casualties. And so in that moment, he took three other men and led them on a charge on the first enemy position. Two of the other men were cut down almost immediately. And aware of this and undeterred, Sergeant McKay charged on alone into the face of the enemy and overcame them. And he was struck down and killed in that moment. But through his action, the offense garnered momentum and was able to proceed and become successful. And even though he lost his life, he was prepared to make that sacrifice. And and posthumously, he was awarded the Victoria Cross for his bravery. And the citation said that that lone charge was a coolly calculated act, the dangers of which must have been all too apparent to him beforehand. In other words, he knew that he was going to his death. He knew what he was facing, and yet he was prepared to do it He was prepared to make that ultimate sacrifice, if you will, for something that he valued even more than his own life, for his comrades with him and for his country. And that idea of making a sacrifice, of giving something that we value in service of something we value and love so much more, is key to the passage that we're looking at today in Romans. I wonder if you have your Bible with you, turn with me then to it in Romans chapter 12, and let's start reading. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is what Paul is urging us here. He, he has been for 11 chapters, if you like, standing in front of the church at Rome and unfolding to them all that God has done for them, all that God through the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus has done for each of them, this great and incredible love that God has for them. And it's like now coming into chapter 12, he he turns from the whiteboard and he says, in the light of all of this, therefore offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 
And as I've been thinking about these verses recently, I've been thinking about the idea of a sacrifice and what does it mean? And I do think that idea of yielding, of giving up something that we value in the service of something we value much more is very helpful. And one thing that we see through a sacrifice like that is our devotion to the greater thing. When I, when I see someone make a sacrifice, I realize how much the thing they're sacrificing for matters to them. And that holds true, I think, from the sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament right up to our day-to-day -day lives and the sacrifices we make in them today. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were given to God's people to provide them with an opportunity to worship God. God had done so much for his people. He had called them out, starting with Abraham. He had forged them in the crucible of Egypt. He had rescued them from the slavery in Egypt, brought them out into the desert, and he had formed them and guided them and protected them and led them and gone with them and ultimately brought them into the promised land. And so the natural response for all of that graciousness and love and mercy that God had shown them was to worship and the sacrificial system provided them a way to do that. They could take their very best animal, their very best grain, the very best thing that they had, and they could say, Lord, this is, this is literally the most valuable thing that I have, and yet I'm prepared to sacrifice it to you. I'm prepared to give it to you. That was their worship. That, that was their demonstration of their love for God. And that's true today in a much more ordinary way in each of our lives as well, isn't it? Most of us, I suspect, enjoy a lie-in on a Saturday morning. With three daughters, it is a theoretical thing at the moment, um, but it is something we all love or at least love the idea of. And yet I know for some of you, you're prepared to give up the Saturday morning lie-in and lace up your rugby boots or lace up your football boots or pick up the hockey stick and go out and run around a wet pitch or up and down a rainy field and do your drills and put in the long hours and sacrifice your Saturday morning lie-in because you value, you value your athletic achievement, you value the sporting thing more than the lie-in. You're prepared to sacrifice something you love and value in pursuit of something you value so much more. And to me, looking on, it seems insane, but it shows me how much that means to you. It makes it clear to me what you're prepared to give up. And that's still true, Paul is saying, in our spiritual lives today as well. He's linked back to all that has gone before and, and all that we've thought about over this last year as we've come through Romans about the wrath of God that we deserved and yet how we were saved from that, how we've been justified, about the wreckage that sin has wrought in each of our lives and how God is putting that right. We've thought even in the last few weeks about God's mercy and love and grace. And so Paul says, in the light of this, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And he tells us, and he expands on that idea in these verses, and the first thing we notice is that it is an active thing. It is an act of the will. This is something we do. We decide to do it. We are impeached by Paul to offer our bodies. It is something that is active. It is something that is happening right now in the present. And it is something that is an ongoing process in our lives. 
And he says it is, if you're reading the authorized version, you'll see it says, this is your reasonable worship. As in, when you have seen all that God has done for you, this is the most reasonable thing to do. This is what makes sense. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. And if we go back to chapter 1 of Romans, you'll remember that Paul introduced us to this character, a, a pagan character, if you like, someone who would have been very like you or I, someone who was irreligious, someone who had no real moral code or compass. And in, in chapter 1, Paul says to us, well, they willingly darkened their minds. They willingly turned from God, denied that he existed. They willingly closed their minds off to him. And then they pursued their own pleasure and their own desires with their bodies. So they willingly closed their minds. They pursued their own pleasure. And then we're told that God ultimately handed those bodies over to the destruction that they brought on themselves. So they closed their mind. They pursued themselves, their own pleasure. And God hands their bodies over to destruction. Here, Paul is walking the pagan, if you like, back First of all, the bodies are handed over to God as a living sacrifice because now we're pursuing God in worship. And we see as we read on that this leads to the renewal of our mind. So Paul is showing how the Christian life undoes that damage in the life of the pagan that we thought about in chapter 1. Paul is showing how this offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice is the first step in that sanctification, in that act. And this living sacrifice, it doesn't happen on a temple or on a hilltop or in some ritual far away, but it happens in the ordinary day-to-day -day moments of our lives. Tomorrow morning, Wednesday evening, in work, in school, in your family life, this is when it happens. It is a living sacrifice in your ordinary life. And I wonder what, what you think that maybe looks like. Perhaps it looks like a young woman who's single and feels like she has been single for a long time. And through friends or through work, she meets a, a young man and he's not a Christian. But there's an attraction between them and the attraction is mutual. And there's the sparkle possibly of a romance. And in that one moment, she can see in her mind like a film stretching out ahead of her, a whole life that she thought she would never have, of a courtship and engagement and a happy wedding day and a home and children and all of this vision that she had longed for. But she knows that this is not the Lord's will for her. And so she sacrifices that. She sacrifices that. Maybe it's an older man and woman, and they're at the stage of their lives where their children are having children, and they can see stretching out in front of them years of happy birthdays and Christmases and family dinners and grandchildren sitting on their knee and putting their arms around them and calling them granda. And yet within their heart, the Lord has put some forgotten people in some distant corner of the world. And they sacrifice that. They sacrifice that to do what the Lord has given them to do. And we could go on and on and on and think about this. But we must 
go practically into this knowing that this is an act of the will. God is not going to drag us kicking and screaming onto the altar. And maybe that's a prayer that some of us need to pray again today. Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm offering my body to you as a living sacrifice. Maybe you look back at a time in your life when you were younger, in university, in school, in the first years of your marriage, and and you prayed that and felt it and meant it so dearly, and yet with time and life and stress and everything else, that has faded. Paul challenges us, pray it again. Pray it again. Thinking of all the Lord has done for you. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then Paul tells us that, that part of this is resisting conformity. Do not be conformed to this world, or as it's paraphrased really brilliantly, do not let the world press you into its mold. If you've ever played with or seen a child play with Play-Doh, they get a lump of Play-Doh and they get one of the little molds and you squish it in and you grind it in and then you peel it out and you're left with a mirror image of the mold. And that's exactly the language Paul is using here. The world wants to press you into its mold, wants to squash you into being just a copy of what it wants. We must resist that. Do not be conformed to the world around us, to the way of living and life around us. A friend told me once about being part of a a small group of Christians, and they were discussing personal evangelism, and they were thinking about how they they explain the gospel to those around them, to to friends, family, co-workers who weren't Christians. And and the, the whole point of the study was thinking about overcoming this difference that is between us, about bridging this um, divide that exists between Christians and non-Christians. And one lady in the study sort of said quite frustratedly at one stage, I, I don't understand what we're talking about. What is the difference between us and those around us? What is the difference? And often that's a question we might do well to ask ourselves. We can create a caricature of what a non-Christian person looks like and congratulate ourselves that we're not sleeping with three different people every weekend or committing horrendous tax fraud. But the reality is that's, that's not where it's at for each of us here this morning. What we need to think about is our values and our attitudes, the things that are important to us, the things that matter most to us, and ask ourselves, What's the difference? My non-Christian neighbor worries about their child getting into a good school and getting A's. I worry about my child getting into a good school and getting A's. I worry about my family not spending time down the park at night getting drunk, and so do they. He's thinking about getting that nice next car, and it's a three-liter engine. He doesn't really need it, but it's nice to have it. And you know what? I would quite like to put my car up a model the next time I change it too. What's the difference? Has the world pressed us in our hearts into its mold? People will talk in schools about a hidden curriculum where children don't just learn facts, how to do equations or how many corners a triangle has, or not just the the curriculum, but there is a hidden curriculum where, where children learn that there are 
people in authority who can't be questioned, that there are certain ways to behave that allow you to progress in the world, and that this is subtly indoctrinated into our children. I'm not necessarily saying those are bad things, but there is this idea that not just the, the obvious things that are being taught, but there is a hidden curriculum being passed on as well. And that is something that happens in each of our lives every day. The world is feeding us a hidden curriculum, a hidden message about what should matter and what should value and what should be important to us. And we have to ask ourselves as believers, where are we getting that from? What are the sources of influence in each of our lives? Is it our social media feed that we scroll through for hours a week? Is it that particular right-leaning or left-leaning tabloid that you enjoy reading the editorials in? Is it that particular hashtag that you follow on Twitter? Where are we getting the world's hidden curriculum from? How are we being influenced? How are we being pressed into that mold? And so practically, I think for myself and for you, I would challenge you this week, as you go through your day-to-day, pay attention to where and what is speaking to you. And know that you can edit the influences that you allow into your life. Perhaps the second series of that program on Netflix might be better left unwatched. Perhaps that particular influencer you follow on Instagram might be better unfollowed. Perhaps that particular trashy novel might be left on the airport shelf. Perhaps that particular person or group of people might be better for us to take a step back from them. And at times that can be very difficult and painful. But that is part of offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That is the sacrifice. God wants a people who look like his son, the Lord Jesus, not who look like the world around them. So do not let the world press you into its mold. And then Paul tells us that instead of being conformed, we should be transformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind. That idea of transformed is a a dramatic change. It's, It's the transformation that the disciples saw happen to the Lord Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. This dramatic visual change that we struggle even to fully understand when we read how they put it into words. It is the transformation that Paul talks about again in Corinthians when he says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that image, into the same image. And Paul tells us in Romans that this happens by the renewal of your mind. That idea of renewal, again, it happens here and it happens in those verses in Titus where we read that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As we go through our Christian lives, we 
are told that the Spirit is washing us. Paul says elsewhere, the church is being washed by His Word, by the Scriptures. And so, we are not to be conformed, but we are to be transformed. As we look at the Lord Jesus, as we think and meditate on Him, we are transformed to look the same way. That is not a passive process where nothing happens to us, but where we are looking at Him and He is transforming us through it. And in our day-to-day lives, by the Holy Spirit, we are being washed, we are being renewed in our minds. Now, why does Paul put this here when he's talking to us about being living sacrifices? Well, look, he tells you it's because with the renewed mind, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As this process continues in our lives through the whole entirety of our Christian lives, we know more and more and more the will of God. We know more and more and more what God wants for us. And so we know how to avoid being conformed to the world. We know what the Lord wants of us, and we know how to offer ourselves as sacrifices. We know what to do and what to pass on. We know what He wants for us and doesn't want for us. And so practically, that happens by meditation on the Lord Himself, by thinking about the Lord Jesus. One of the reasons for us as a fellowship and us as a tradition that the Lord's table is such a precious thing for us is is that it carves out this sacred space in the week where we can come together and we can reflect on the Lord Jesus and we can set everything else aside at the door and come here and think about Him. Think about who He was, think about what He did, about how He interacted with those He met, about His love for us, about His glory, about all of the things that we reflect about the Lord Jesus. And not just, obviously, in that special time together, but in each of our lives as well. Privately, as we read His Word and we take time in our day-to-day lives, let's consciously this week reflect on the Lord Himself. Let's behold His glory and allow that to transform us. One other way we might be renewed by the washing of the Word in the next few months, as, as all being well, things open up and we can meet together, perhaps is to start meeting with another person and reading the Bible together. That's something that we, we might be strange or might be new to you, and yet it doesn't have to be. Just find someone and go for coffee and have coffee and take 25 minutes to open the Lord's Word and, and to read a few verses and to talk about them, to share what the Lord's been doing in your life that week. Let's bring that into our relationships with each other and allow the Spirit through that to renew us. So that is today. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This has been built on the foundation of all that we've been thinking about in Romans over the last year. Thinking about the Lord's love for us. The only reasonable response for us as believers is to worship. And Paul tells us that in the new covenant we do that by offering ourselves, by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice dedicated to God and what He wants and wants for us. It's an act of the will we must choose to do, something that requires us to sacrifice the easy path of conforming with the world around us, and something that requires a new and renewed mind to help us to do it. But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, 
Never fear, only trust and obey. May God bless you all this week. Amen.